So I had a very interesting experiment with watching Wrath of Khan this week. Yeah. Um, see, I've actually seen this movie before uh, with you, with Eric, uh, not you, the viewers at home. Um, and Although if you'd like to, Richard is open to it. I have most of my nights free. Um, Call them up. They don't know my number. I don't either. Well, yeah, just go into your favorites. It's saved there. Ah. Um, and at this point, of course, I've seen the original series. But my friend was over last night, and he's never really seen any Star Trek. He was He's kind of where I was when I started this experiment. She's never seen Wrath of Khan, so we watched the movie together. So it was like I had my own newbie. That's so nice. It's so nice. He didn't love it. Well, I don't like him, so there. You know, but, but it was actually very interesting. He's a terrible person. Uh, yes. It was very interesting watching this for the second time because, number one, I liked it a lot more than, than when I first saw it. Because I guess a lot – and it's actually funny because the beginning of the movie and the end of it are very much for fans. The entire story, the Kirk and Khan things are good no matter what. They're, it's a good movie in that way. But all of the stuff about Kirk aging, about Spock's death even, that has a lot of impact that just isn't there for non-fans. So I found that kind of interesting actually to notice. I would agree with you. I mean that's yeah. uh, that's interesting. I don't – I would not have expected the uh, Kirk aging stuff to not land for fans because, you know, I mean, that might just be because we're not old, right? And so if you're watching this as a 55-year-old and you've yeah. never seen Star Trek, that might land for you better than us and because we're in our 30s. I mean, they do, um, do, do enough of a... Uh... He, Kirk is worried about obsolescence, and that is a thing that everybody has dealt with at some point. Yeah, um, everybody does remember their old glory days. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting take on the theme from the last movie. Well, it's 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 interesting, right? Because you know, watching the Wrath of Khan, and I've seen it, you know, probably I don't know, fifteen or twenty times over the years. Um, it's it's just a fantastic movie. Uh, it's not my favorite of the movies, but it's it's my second favorite, I'll say, and I'll I'll leave my first favorite for for later on when we get there. But it, it's 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 got two things going for it, I think, or really maybe three things. Number one, it's just a, a fantastically constructed movie, like top to bottom, it's just very well done. Uh, the direction is great. The writing is great. The music is excellent. Um, the special effects, I think, are maybe one of the weakest points, but you know they were working with a much lower budget because the motion picture underperformed. Yeah, and it's not a movie about its effects in the way that uh, the first one was. And yeah, and I mean, one of our complaints about the motion picture was that it relied too much on special effects, and so I don't think it's a problem that the Wrath of Khan doesn't rely on special effects so much. Yeah, most of the... Best parts of the movie involve just close-ups of Shatner and Montalban sweating, you know? That's... Yeah. But, you know, the the second thing, and I think why this movie works so well, is that it knows what audience it's going for, right? Because with the motion picture, I think we both felt like it's not really for fans because none of the main characters are there really they don't do anything um uhura doesn't really do anything sulu doesn't do anything Chekhov is barely in the movie uh blessing though spock looks like he's lobotomized kirk is running around acting like a dick and so that's problematic and then of course non-fans are not going to like the motion picture because wow i mean i watched it with uh, someone and he fell asleep so (laughs) that that tells you all you need to know about non-fans watching the the motion picture 
Um, but with Wrath of Khan, you know, Nicholas Meyer really and, and Harv Bennett really went for a movie that spoke to fans and spoke to non-fans because they go out of their way to set up a lot of stuff that fans will know. I mean, look at look at how the movie even starts. It starts with a title card that says, in the 23rd century. So, yeah, fans know that this is a science fiction show about space travel, but yeah. non-fans may not. Uh, and it just goes on from there. I mean, it's it's this is what the first Star Trek movie should have been, in my opinion. That's That's fair, and in a lot of ways... It starts where the first movie started off. Kirk doesn't really have his command. He's feeling kind of bored and useless and just kicking his heels. You know, people are just kind of doing whatever. Now... And that's what is so weird about it is that it really... Like, this movie makes the motion picture feel completely pointless and superfluous. Yeah, they, they take that theme so much better here because they directly tie it to aging. They directly tie it to... I mean, it's Spock says, you know, your your mistake was, you know, letting yourself get promoted, you know, and they they have very made it clear, I think, in the series as well that, you know, when you become an admiral, you're kind of just put in an office somewhere, and that that life is not for Kirk. Right? We were saying last week for Kirk being a captain is a calling. He's not interested in taking this career as far as it can go. As an admiral, he has an immense amount of power, an immense amount of respect. He can write his ticket and do pretty much whatever he wants. He doesn't want to be there. He wants to be one level below because that's that that's where he thrives. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that a lot of people find out in their lives. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's it's interesting because you know the movie does set this up as a movie about aging and a movie about um, um, obsolescence and, and and you know where where do you go from here? Middle, you know, Kirk is basically having a midlife crisis, uh, but it it shifts a little bit throughout the movie, and you sort of. You know, in the Genesis Project and in Khan getting older, right, as well. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, it, it's, I don't think it's incidental. It's not uh, uh, an afterthought that it's revealed that, that Kirk has fathered a son in this movie either. Yeah. I mean, all of these things are tying together thematically. And that's just the sign of a movie that is really, really well written. It's, it's interesting because at, when McCoy is talking to Kirk in his apartment at the beginning, and that scene directly reminds me of the very first scene of The Cage with, you know, uh, Captain Pike's do- uh, doctor talking to him and, you know, giving him a drink and saying, you know, you know, a man will talk to his doctor, things he doesn't tell to his friend, you know. And it's a very similar scene, and it's the, uh, in a way, they're, they have the exact opposite complaint. Yeah. Pike isn't sure if being a star captain is right for him. Uh, Kirk is as depressed because he realizes he gave up where he was the best at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what McCoy says is, you know, get your command back or else you're going to really get old. Throughout the course of the movie, I think Kirk is... Kirk's arc is he, instead of growing old, he figures out kind of how to grow up because he is still somebody who, you know, Khan says explicitly uh, to Chekhov when he's, you know, torturing him in the beginning, um, 
you know, the captain should have checked up on me. And while this is Khan, and while he's only, you know, whatever, and while it was an episodic TV series, he does have a little bit of a point. No, I was going to say, I mean, I think that's something that that you would have picked up on, because one of your complaints about the original series is that they don't ever follow up on anything. Yeah, and And it's it's true. And that was a a light in a little bit in the animated series, but... Yeah, if Kirk had, you know, as he had promised to every few years, see what Kirk, what Khan was doing, and it wouldn't have been much of an effort to do so, he would have discovered that, you know, this natural disaster happened, and they would have done something. He would have done something. At the end of Space Seed, Khan respects Kirk. He respects him as the man who defeated him. He, the punishment that they gave Khan was one which allowed Khan to still have honor. It was a very honorable exile that he was given on the end. It was a punishment, frankly, that I think Khan respects because it's one that's worthy of him. Let's face it. You don't just kill the greatest, you know, evil super being. You give him exile. Um, And so what happened to Khan was not, was nobody's fault, really. It was a natural disaster. It decimated his crew. It killed his wife, who was the, you know, woman that we saw in the Space Seed episode. But if Kirk had come back, even a few years later, even if they after the wife had died and after they had eked out a poor existence, I think Khan might have appreciated that. You yeah, know, well, I, I mean... I... And he would have, you know, it would have been a very different thing. I think th- there was a sense that they could have become friends. Well, there's two things going on there, right? I think w- one of the implications that the movie makes is that uh, Khan has gone insane. Ba- oh, yes. ba- basically. I mean, he is Captain Ahab in this movie. And, and you Which know, you can't blame him for going insane. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because I, I listened to some of the, the commentary on the Blu-ray for this movie. And, and, and one of the things that uh, uh, Nicholas Meyer said was, um, you know, he wanted to make a, he always wanted to make a Moby Dick movie, but it just wasn't commercially viable. Yeah. And, and, you know, he said, oh, well, you could make one now, but I'm, I'm glad I made this movie. And I, I agree with him. No, I mean, it's the same. I, frankly, I think it's stronger than just a Moby Dick movie because it yeah. takes the essence of that book, that obsession. And um, But but the other thing about, about Khan, too, is that this is a man who, in, in the same way that Kirk wants a certain type of power, and, and Kirk doesn't really want... Um, broad power. He doesn't want political power. He doesn't want power over a, a society. He just wants to be in control of a starship, feel like he's, uh, you know, has control of his own destiny and go out there and explore, right? And he wants to fix things. And he Kirk wa- loves going in. Yeah, he's a tinkerer, the, the, the right? Pow- the power that Kirk enjoys is the power to make people's lives better. It's yeah. a power that he's definitely using for good. He also wants to have it and he's not... He's good at it. He's good at fixing shit. You right. Know, we've seen three whole seasons where that's all he did. And Khan is sort of like that, but he definitely likes power for its own sake and wants it. And I think the the first real taste of that in this movie that Khan is going to be a problem is when Chekhov and the captain, you know, are captured by Khan and his the remainder of his crew. And, you know, they're they're saying things and things like that. And, you know, Khan says that great line, you are in a position to, de- to demand nothing. Yeah. But I am in a position to grant nothing. So there yeah. you go. And that's why Khan is so pissed off at Kirk. And that's why he goes after him with such force. Because by by not looking in on him and not checking on him, 
he feels like I think Kirk has sort of castrated him in a way. There is that moment when even be there is a moment when the negotiations really could go either way. And then Chekhov lets it slip that they thought this was a different planet that they didn't even know. And Khan, Khan points that out like, you didn't even know I was here. You're here for a completely different reason entirely. Now, the fact that that, reason, that other reason happens to be what Khan can use as a super weapon is just another twist in the plot. But frankly, if they had been going on a Khan rescue mission, Khan would have had a very different thing. His ego is hurt because he is such a non-entity to Kirk that he doesn't even remember that he exists. His Even his lowly ensign doesn't remember that Khan exists. Yeah. And that, at that point, it does become personal. He wants Kirk to know his name. Well, that's the interesting thing, too, is that, you know, you never really looked favorably upon Chekhov. And, you know, I, he's not my favorite character. Yeah. I don't necessarily have a huge problem with him, but, you know, whatever. Um, but I think it's, it is interesting that the 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 movie could not happen if not for Chekhov's two things about Chekhov number one his lack of follow through and lack of thoroughness right because he is the one who was examining these planets yes. and did he really miscount i mean did, did you know like did he re- like he really thought and that this was especially cuz at this point he's become first officer he's spock he should know he that that's a big thing that he should have done. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he's first officer. They, I believe they say it at one point. He's a lieutenant. Well, anyway, it's not that anyway. important. But either way, he had he's a few. It's fifteen years later. He's a yeah. few ranks ahead. So so he's way. gone up in the ranks, but he still is a little not that great of an officer. And then the other thing is, not only is he not uh, technically that proficient, but he also just doesn't have the raw skill or raw talent that Kirk would have because yeah. if if Kirk was in this position you know that Kirk would have picked up on all of these warning signs that Khan was letting off and he totally would have played it up and was like oh no I'm so sorry I was here to check on you like you know this happened and this happened and this happened and yeah as you know say, he could make excuses Khan would be pissed. he would lie it he would, would be say, a difficult would, episode he would still be the two battling but they would be able to he'd make up anything he'd say look uh, you know uh, two months after we dropped you off the Federation and the Klingons got into a horrible 15 year long war and we couldn't do any exploration you know he would say something right yeah and so it's interesting that Chekhov is basically the reason why all of this happens and especially because check uh you know he conrad remembers Chekhov's face immediately uh you know he he uh, which gets him in the captain kirk frame of mind um and if, if, if it hadn't been a crew member of the enterprise it would have been just a random ship that had been in there Khan and them would have had a different interaction. They, it would not have gone well for that captain either way, but it wouldn't have led to a Kirk hunt. Yeah, yeah. He, he would have just stolen the ship. And again, as is pointed out several times in the movie, you know, you have a starship, you have the Genesis device, you have everything you could possibly want to do whatever you want, you're Khan. Yeah. Uh, because Kirk is in the equation, you know, Khan still goes. If Chekhov's not there, Kirk is not in the equation. And so Khan probably would have just taken the starship and the Genesis device and jetted. Now, did you make the connection? Because this is always one of those things that people try and um, 
you know, have fan th- theories about. Uh, Chekhov didn't join the cast until yes. the second season. I know that the like they've done some kind of elision on that, which has bas- basically the impression that I've always gotten is that it's not letting facts get in the way of a good story. Yeah, like there there is. Out of all of the characters who they could have picked, number one, Chekhov is the only but one whose career has really taken him elsewhere. Um, well, it's interesting, right? Because I don't think that there's any necess- There's no story reason why it needs to be Chekhov. It could just as easily have been Sulu, for example. Yeah, but again, they... It, it, I mean, it makes more sense. If it had been somebody who was directly on the Enterprise at that moment, they would have noticed their disappearance much quicker. Uh, it would have, you know... So you give it to somebody who is no. I'm saying I'm saying like oh. instead of having Chekhov on the crew of the Reliant, oh. you have Sulu on the crew of the Reliant, right? I, I assumed Sulu had a bigger salary and Chuck and uh, what is it? Walter Koenig had a it, smaller it, salary, so he had a smaller part. Like it may have been as simple as it may have been because something as that, or they just kind of arbitrage. If we if they had used Sulu, we would have said why not Chekhov? You know, I mean Walter Koenig was not in the animated series, for example. Yeah. So he maybe it just wasn't that he was as important. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things that I, I just bring it up because I was curious if you've noticed if you noticed it. I mean, it's not anything that's ever really bothered me. Yeah, like I, I said, I, I read about it, and again, the the explanation I read was so. I mean, the ex- yeah. one of the explanations I read was basically, well, Chekhov was a below decks crew member. Yeah. Like, okay, fine, whatever. exactly. It's a. It we, doesn't matter. Look, this is really not the least important part of the movie. This is an a we. I can accept that. That's such a hand wave that doesn't matter. It's the. Yeah, the, the the issue if if Kirk hadn't been in the if, if let's say if McCoy hadn't been in the episode, that would be a much bigger uh problem. Yeah. You know. L- let's go back to the beginning of the movie though, because again, I think this movie is so much better than the oh, motion yeah. picture and one of the reasons why it's so much better is it immediately starts, I think, in a place where we want it to start. Because when the movie starts, it's it, it, it we don't know what's going on, right? Because yeah. it's it's portrayed as the bridge of the Enterprise. Uh, this female Vulcan that we don't know is in command. You know, we see Sulu. Yeah, there's the uh, same we see Uhura, We see Spock. So we see everybody on the on the bridge of the Enterprise already. Something is going on. We don't know what it is. It's strange that they're taking a position, giving a position of authority to somebody who is visibly younger than them as well. That's, yeah, that's, it's certainly like she, there is no question that she is much younger than Spock is, and it would be odd that she would be outrank him in this case, yes. It's a much more interesting open yeah. opening than the motion picture, which opens with random Klingons getting attacked by a cloud and then seeing a, a star base with people we don't know going, oh, what, what's going on? I mean, it's like a radio play, basically. Um, in this, I think it's, it, it's a much more personal take on it, and it allows the fans to immediately go, okay, yes, this is, they already know what they're doing. Now, more the, more than in the motion picture. Maru been mentioned in the series. No, this is this is the first time that it had ever been mentioned. And so, I know this is a legendary thing within the you know Star Trek canon, and it's it you know Kirk's solution is a very interesting thing, and symbolically, I mean the the entire movie is an exploration of the unsolvable task, the taking the third option, and you know what do you how do you face death, and really all of the characters have to. All the major characters in this movie face death in a very different way. And Spock 
dies in the beginning Spock of the movie. Spock is the only one who... Yeah. And dies at the end of the movie. Spock's the only one who handles it well. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah and it's actually funny. The first line that uh, you know Kirk says to Spock is, Oh, you're, you're, aren't you dead? You know, after, after the simulation. Now, I have a question about Savick. Is she fully Vulcan or is she half Vulcan? Um, the theory that I always heard about Savick is that she's half Romulan. Okay. I don't know if that was ever because what's said anywhere you're saying that because she was crying at the end at the end yeah. and and not only was she crying at the end but that the look that she gave kirk when you know he noticed her she had a very mild embarrassment that one would upon it you know anybody seeing you know a superior officer seeing you cry but at the same time not ashamed of the emotion itself because in that particular moment it's a completely appropriate emotion so yeah i she not only shows... I mean, that Vulcan show emotion is not a... Everyone knows that they do at this point, but they find it usually so distasteful or it's hidden so well that she seems very unashamed of that. Well, it's interesting, Which right? Which says because, a lot about her character. Well, I find Savick an interesting character. Maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about her a little bit because, um, you know, if you want to talk about the, the, the Vulcan stuff for a minute, I think Savick is obviously supposed to be a Kirk analog and a Spock analog at the yeah. same time, right? They're supposed to be, she's supposed to represent the two of them when they were younger, just starting out. She's, she's very competent. They, they let her th- fly the ship out. You know, the uh, Kirk gives her the chair when he leaves the, the, the bridge, you know, yeah, everything it's, like it, that. In no doubt in 10 years, she's going to have her own ship. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's she's, time, she's, you know, she's smart. She's ambitious. Um, it, there's that great line where she quotes a regulation to Kirk and, and Spock says, you know, you don't do that. Right. Yeah. Like basically like shut up. And then, uh, she turns out to be correct or, or whatever yeah. happens. And Kirk says, please go on quoting regulations to me, <laughs> yeah, which I like the running joke throughout the thing. Yeah. And so for that reason, I find her an interesting character. She's also an interesting character because at, at this point, you know, and, and we've talked about, Vulcans and Vulcan logic and Vulcan society, you know, quite a bit over the course of this show so far. And we've seen a lot of different sides of it, right? We've seen Spock, and I think we've both sort of come to the conclusion, you know, up to this point that being half human, Spock overcompensates. Mm -hmm. We've seen Vulcan a couple of times, once in, in, in the original series in a muck time, and then once in the motion picture. And we've also seen on the, the Journey to Babel episode, we've seen Sarek and his we, wife. We, yeah, we've yeah. seen we've seen Vulcans, right. And so what's interesting about that is uh, Savik is obviously supposed to be extremely young. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's mm-hmm. this implication that we already know about the Kolinar ceremony that Spock was supposed to go through in the motion picture, which uh, yes. purges all emotions somehow. So you can take the Savik character one of two ways. You can okay. say... She's supposed to be, I, and, and I, I kind of go with the, I, I like to go with the thematic interpretation of Savick more than the, the sort of like canon yeah, hand yeah, wavy yeah. interpretation of, of, of her. But I think that she cries at the end because she is supposed to be Kirk and Spock, right? Yes. And the two of them together. And so that's why she cries because Kirk is always about you no know, emotion, emotion, emotion. You have to go in intuition. You have to do this. You have to do that. Yeah. You know, she's had a loss, right? Spock was yeah. her teacher. Spock was her mentor. 
as a fellow, she, he was a fellow Vulcan. She obviously is extremely close to him. Yes, right. And so I like it for that reason because she's young. Yeah. She's she's not fully in control of her emotions, and she knows that she she knows enough to be embarrassed by it. But I think that she, I think she gets away with it because everyone is human. Yeah, right? I and, was going to say it again. It's the mild embarrassment that a coworker has. You, you, that happens when your boss sees you cry, but not at the same time. Again, it's very appropriate. And he doesn't, he understands completely. Yeah. Uh, she's very interesting in a lot of ways because she is, especially with the Kobayashi Maru, she is a dog with a bone from the very beginning. She is questioning the purpose of the test. She, uh, when Kirk, Kirk, didn't you know refuses to answer the story about his test several times and she keeps asking him she keeps asking for more information about it she genuinely wishes to understand the lesson of the test and you know just simply being told well it's how you face death you know was not enough for her and if she is to make a good starship captain i think that's one of the reasons that she will frankly she does not take anything at face value. I, they make it very, you know, she doesn't take anything at face value. She doesn't go with the obvious interpretation of the situation, which are all, you know, important qualities. And yes, maybe it is, it's probably she has not gone through Kolinar. Maybe she even, I'm sure she's looked up Spock. I'm sure she knows Spock well enough to know that he does draw a lot of strength from his emotions and his human side. So maybe she frankly isn't bothering to hide that part of her because she understands that there are times when it needs to be relaxed because Spock has understood that there are times when it needs to be relaxed. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing about, about Spock of course, is that he doesn't really, he doesn't let his hair down, right? Like we don't see Spock react emotionally except for a couple of very key moments in, in the original series. Um, But at the same time, I think his his understanding of it is not so much that he lets his emotions out, but that he can understand why the crew of the Enterprise is acting the way they do. Well, put and, it this way. In the previous movie, at the end, he explicitly says, you know, the simple feeling, that friendship, which Spock has felt the entire time, you know— you know, is what has made them strong, and they say Viger can't understand that, and he knows that that's how Viger was defeated. So this Spock is wiser than that Spock, because this is a few years later. So frankly, yeah. yeah, he still will keep his emotions, you know, he does find it inappropriate to let them ride. No matter what, he'll feel... I, I think Spock is at the point where he can feel something, but then lets, um, lets logic dictate his actual action. Yeah, His emotions are a side effect, really, and... I think I don't know that's I think where Vulcans are going at this point. Um you would be incorrect. I know. But but that I guess would be lack of sophistication in you know that particular area rather than It will be very interesting uh in a few weeks when we start the next generation because that really is the next you yeah. know iteration of Star Trek, right? And and in a lot of ways it's very different than yeah. than this iteration of Star Trek. Um, but we can get to that when we get to the, the next generation. And remembering what I've seen of the series, I can you know, I can already see where that, that is the case. Yeah. 
I like that the movies are fleshing out the world, and in this one, the world seems so much more. Well, this is the interesting thing, right? And this is what I want to talk about because you know we've talked a lot about some of the Star Trek stuff in the movie and and why it is such a good movie. But I think there's one key piece of it which we haven't touched on, which is that Roddenberry wasn't involved very much. <laughs> and I don't mean that to be a dick. I just I just say no. that because. This this is a really good example of people coming into to to a pre-existing franchise not being familiar with it but you know Harve Bennett and Nicholas Meyer Harve Bennett wrote the script yeah. and, and Nicholas Meyer directed this and you know they watched the show yeah they quickly picked up on what made Star Trek great what didn't make it so great and updated it just enough to make it feel yeah. contemporary and really make it a, a tremendously faithful, but also modern Star Trek. Now, what year was this? 1982. 82. Okay. See what I, what I realized I was going to love the movie. And again, having seen it before, but at the beginning you have Kirk walking through in, you know, out of the Kobayashi Maru, and there's a dude buffing the floor. Like, they just put a janitor. And that just, that makes, that makes this a world. It's just such a tiny little detail, but, yeah, after hours in a school, there is a janitor. Always. I don't think it's incidental that Kirk is wearing glasses, for example. Yeah, and I love that the glasses are shown broken at the end, because that, it's not an ice, this, Adventure with Khan was not an isolated episode. It's not something that he closed the book on. Like, when he, when he's done with it, he's reading the book that he got before the episode. He's having his broken glasses, which he broke during the course of it. Like, that, I don't know. That was a nice little detail, too. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's just one of those things which really make you wonder what they were trying to do with the motion picture. Because, you know, it was so stilted and, and, and so static and, and just so lifeless, really. It was made and for the kind of people who, again, wanted to see the Star Trek Enterprise on a big screen in very tiny, slow detail. Now, there are, there are, it's interesting, there are a few scenes uh, when they show, first see the Enterprise in this one. There is a similar scene where it's in the docking bay where they do a pan around it. And they also have a scene which is pretty much from Star Wars where it's going, you know, towards the viewer. But it's very quick. Well, the, there's there's two reasons for that. Number one, of course, is that they reused a lot of the yeah. special effect shots from the motion picture. I thought so. Yeah, they they had you know very yeah. little of a budget to make this movie. Um, and the other thing too, of course, is that you do want to see some of that. Well, stuff. that that was the same. But, it, 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 I, but that's but that's the thing. That's what I'm trying to see to, the scale of the ship, and they get, they do it much more efficiently here. I guess what I'm trying to get at is uh, Harv Bennett and Nicholas Meyer picked up on even though they were not familiar with star trek before they got the job that they they picked up on the fact that this was such a popular and long-lasting phenomenon not because of the technology and not because of you know anything like that it was popular because of the humanity of it and the characters and they made the characters in this movie they just they just feel right from the opening scene and that's something that the motion picture struggled with throughout the entire film you know it's it's yeah. just it's it's really amazing to me that uh they let Roddenberry get involved in in the next generation because yeah 
whatever you can say about Roddenberry, I don't think he has a good. He's a he's a great concept creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a great. Obviously, he's he, the, Star Trek as a as a thing would not exist if it did not have a. a incredibly strong concept he's a great world builder i don't think that he has great storytelling instincts no i think he's good at creating characters as well and he's great at premises yeah and that's what i think we see here you know roddenberry as a creative consultant fine Mm -hmm. he will be like yeah no kirk probably wouldn't do that and they'll listen to him because they'll think about it for a second and say yeah you're right but if you want something that feels alive and you want something that feels like star trek you want to go with Someone that isn't Roddenberry, well, which, that's which the whole is thing weird. With Star Wars, as the same, you know, everybody says Empire Strikes Back fleshes out the world, fleshes out the characters, is a much better film, and Lucas had a lot less to do with it than he did the original Star Wars, which, of course, the original Star Wars is still a great film, too. Yeah, we can't yeah. deny that. Um, well, I, I guess it's. The other thing I think yeah. the, the the other thing too that that makes the world feel more alive and and, and more energetic is um, you know we haven't really touched on the the scientific portion of it you know the Genesis project and obviously that has implications for aging and you know there's themes of aging and rebirth in this movie all over the place yeah and that I think is interesting too because that's you know one of the things about Nicholas Meyer he added a lot of the sort of naval flavor. That Star Trek develops later on, and you know we've got the the costumes look more naval. See, it's actually funny. Like I noticed the when Kirk goes on the board, like they have the little whistle and right. standing at attention, and we've never really seen that before. But well, we did see that in the Trouble with Tribbles. Okay, see what I think is funny is also this is the Enterprise is under Spock's command, and it maybe that is a much more like by the books. I think that, yeah, probably Starfleet does have this. On Kirk's ship, he's not really going to need standing at attention. Yeah. I almost got the sense that that, that was, you know, Spock was had a ship full of recruits. Yeah. They're yeah. going to be in their most, in their prime. I thought that was interesting, though. Yeah. I like it because it, I think, I think yeah. this is the first, this is the first example of Star Trek doing something a little different and flexing the, um, it's cool. Yeah. You know, it's fla- flexing Star Trek's muscles a little bit and saying, you know, we can do different takes on it, which still are Star Trek and still feel like Star Trek. And I think the motion picture for whatever it is, the Wrath of Khan is a much better, um, test of can we adapt this by someone else into something else you know if the animated series you know we said a couple weeks ago when we closed out the animated series that this was maybe the first example of yeah there's something else here you know this wasn't lightning in yeah. a bottle you can do other things with this concept the motion picture i think was a failure didn't really say anything about star trek obviously it made enough money to get a sequel wrath of khan is the one that says again yeah there's something here Someone else can come in and do something interesting with this, make it a little different, but yeah. it still feels good because they know what makes it feel right. Well, it feels, I, I mean, watching Space Seed again, again, Khan is a wonderful villain. That's a great episode, but everything just seems so much more amped up in this episode. The characters are. In this episode? Uh, sorry, in, in, yeah, in, in, this, in the movie. Um, you know, everybody's burning at, at 9 and 10 in Space Seed. Uh, Shatner and Montalban are at 15 in this one. Kirk and Khan are at 15 on this one. Kirk, Khan is a much more brighter character, I would say, in this. Um, a lot of that has to do with, frankly, visually, he's so much more. That, that scene at the beginning... 
when he comes and he has this scarf and this mask and these terrifying gloves. He's terrifying in that. That entire first se- I mean, I really think the movie is kind of all right until he shows up and, you know, how he's just talking calmly and it's the, he's the scariest man in the world in that scene. It's, it's a very big threat. Um, what I think is really interesting is what I remember of the movie is not these gorgeous shots of the Genesis cave and the planet and, you know, the Genesis plot is almost kind of a thing that's happening just to fill up you know, it's a plot device rather than anything. I, I, would, I would disagree with you, it's actually. It's thematic because... as well, certainly, but I think what strikes me more about the movie, the more iconic bits of the movie are Kirk in a chair and Khan in a chair, and both of them, like I said, are plotting and trying to get... That's the more intense, the more interesting part of the movie, and that's all the acting. The 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 I, I, I don't agree with you, actually, and I think one of the reasons why I don't agree with you is because— And again, this is a personal—this is what stuck with me. Well, this—I mean, it's funny because, yeah, the first few times you see this movie, it's it's con. It's con, con, con. Mm. Like, he is just on the screen. He is owning every yeah. scene that he is in. Of course, let's not forget, Kirk and Khan never share. I think that's fascinating. A scene, a yeah. scene together. That's deliberate, okay. obviously. And, you know, people have to be told that. They don't pick up on it by themselves, usually. Like, they are, like, shocked when you tell them that. But because they do, I mean, in, number one, this chemistry from Space Seed carries over. And, you know, they, but yeah, they, they there are they're both so good at they they had chemistry without being on the same yeah scene. that's weird that's it's it's a testament to all of this it is yeah i think the interesting thing about the movie is that you know you know as much as i've seen it Khan is the least interesting part of the movie to me now and he's the le- he's the most incidental like he's there that's... and he drives a lot of the action but i would say that he's more of a plot device than the genesis devices you know he, and the I reason mean, why i yeah. say that is you know, he certainly drives the plot forward and he certainly is there to act as a dramatic, you know, fulcrum for all this to go around. Yeah. But he's insane. And the meat of the movie, he's not on screen very much. I mean, he, if you total up all the yeah, minutes yeah. that Khan is on screen, it's probably 15 minutes. It, it, it's not that much. And for a movie that's almost two hours long, that's amazing. And yeah. that, that you get a sense of him so quickly. Um because I think a lot of the meat of the movie is really centering on Kirk, is centering on the Enterprise, is centering on Savick, and is centering on the the Genesis Project, but not the Genesis product Project itself, but the people surrounding it. And that, I think, is what the, the, the meat of the movie really is. This is a movie about everybody involved feeling like they are out of place and by the end of the movie, they all have a place again. Well, it's, what I'm thinking about now is how much more compact the movie is than the motion picture. I mean, there was all this stuff in the, like, the transporter scene that just went nowhere. And yeah, every element of this movie relates to each other, you know, thematically and literally. Oh, um, this is just a tightly constructed yeah, movie. Yeah, you know, and I guess thinking on this terms, yeah, Khan is related to the Genesis device because, you know— one thinks of what the Genesis device would have done to save his people. You know, you think of that, you think about, you know, Khan is related to Kirk because, you know, they are two enemies who are chasing the other. Khan is related to Chekhov because Chekhov is on the, you know, Kirk is related to the Genesis device because, 
you know, his enemies getting there, but also because his son and his former girlfriend, you know, that is very interesting. Yeah, and and that's what I like about the you know we haven't really touched upon you know Carol Marcus and David and and and, and the Genesis device and what happens with them yet. But one well, of the one of the interesting things I think about this script is that you know Carol Marcus is a brand new character we we've never seen her before, and she she feels like she fits in. She feels like you should know her even though she was never yeah. in the show. And the fact that Kirk has a son should come across, I think, as much more of a shock than it does. Well, it's, but no one involved really seems to think it's much of a secret. It's just not really commented on. Well, here's the thing. Um, so, so one of the main one of the main themes of the movie is, you know, your actions do have consequences. You know, this is the bloom of the space seed that he planted that he didn't bother checking up on. In the original series, there are plenty of women that, you know, we've been able to accept as, oh, this was the love of Kirk's life, or this is a woman that he meets up and has this very passionate romance with. In all cases, he's left them behind. Um, so I this guess... Is, this is, well... That- I guess it's a case of, you you know, largely because of the era in which the show was made, but, you know, for number one, from propriety reasons, and number two, because it wasn't, you know, serialized in any way, but Kirk must have several kids at this point, just because he has been with a lot of women. Like, and so I guess... Well, this is the interesting thing that I think about it, is that in the same way that Khan is Kirk's past catching up with him, as a starship captain. Yeah. Carol Marcus and David are Kirk's past catching up with him as a a man. Yes. And that is more shocking to him than Khan. Yeah. Because he's good at Khan. He's good. Right. That's the thing, right? Like Khan immediately um, gets the edge over them very quickly. You know, they, they lock him. That scene where the Enterprise is coming upon the Reliant and Savick tells Kirk to, to raise the shields because they haven't gotten communications with the ship and that's what the regulations say and you know that's mm-hmm. when Spock berates her a little bit and, and Kirk doesn't do it and the ship gets crippled. And he, that, I mean, that great scene where Kirk and Spock are, are over the console, you know, pretending to send the information over yeah. and then they just blast the ship because they put the shields down. Yeah. You know, that's the only time that Khan really ever has a leg up on Kirk because, you know, as Space Seed showed that Khan took control of the Enterprise in like 10 minutes, this shows that Khan still has it, but Kirk has it more now because Khan yeah. is crazy and Khan is letting his emotions override his logical thinking. Khan can be, Khan can be tricked and Khan doesn't realize he can be tricked. That's the moment when Kirk realizes, oh, I can be tricked. Yeah, and it, it's it's a typical hubris story, but once I mean, and the moment of, you know with the con scream is the moment when you know at that moment Kirk knows it's done and knows while well, he doesn't you know he has the outlines of his plan he figures, but he knows the way to do it is to make Khan think he's won. Well, here's here's what I'm getting at. Kirk knows that Khan doesn't <laughs> know. Oh, it's one of these. His tricks, right? Yeah. And he knows that he can get one over on Khan. Kirk is uncomfortable with Carol Marcus and his son because they know all his tricks. And he knows that they know all his tricks. And, and yeah. you know, he's okay with a homicidal Superman after him. He's like, yeah, whatever, I'll take care of this. Because that's where he's comfortable. When he's faced with, you know, a woman and child, 
He doesn't know what to do. Well, he's me, uncomfortable with it because he's never had to do that before. Well, and the, he's always been uncomfortable with that. Here's the thing. Even though, yes, Kirk should have checked up on Khan, Khan is still very much in the wrong. He, No matter what, no matter what Kirk does with Khan, at the end of the day, Kirk is still the starship captain and Khan is still the genocidal maniac. No one ever said, no one ever thinks that Khan is in the right here. Yeah, they, you could feel pity for him. And if him. you do, I don't want to meet you. You could certainly feel pity for him. He is a pitiable figure at the end. He's a wonderful villain, but he is definitely um, absolutely dead wrong. Kirk is kind of the one who's not, re- while he may not be in the wrong, he's not exactly in the right with Carol Marcus. And therefore, I think part of his discomfort has to do with the fact that he done fucked up and he knows it like there is that point when you know the you know he finally reaches her and they're talking and you know he says something like well you told me you know stay away you have your career i have my career you know our lives are incompatible i do not doubt that once when carol marcus found she was pregnant she said to kirk look you're a starship captain you know i have a good job i have people like i don't have to worry don't worry about this or did she even tell him i'm sure she said that and kirk said all right bye like, that, that's more what I got the sense that happened. Like, he a little—she's pissed at him not for leaving her. Again, it's not that—I I don't think that, you know, her son ever went hungry at, at any point. You know, she's a scientist who's getting Federation contracts. You know, she's doing well for herself. And she's not mad at him. He, he, I mean, she, she, she— She's more pissed that he didn't give her the respect and occasionally check in, I think. I think she, she, I don't think if, if if at the kid's birthday, if he'd given a card, I don't think she would have been angry at that. At the same time, though, she defends Kirk at least twice in this movie to David. And yes. I think it's interesting because we haven't really talked about the character of David and he's not, he's not a super interesting character. He's not a super well-developed character, but, but he, he doesn't need to be either. But. but I think it's interesting because he has this strange reaction to Starfleet as, you know, oh, the military will always get one over on the scientists and things like that. And, you know, immediately Carol Marcus is like, I don't want to believe that. Starfleet has kept the peace for 100 years. You know, party line. This is Star Trek. Starfleet is not a military organization. Whatever, right? And that's weird. That feels weird. Like, that line doesn't feel like it's part of Star Trek. Um, But I think it's less to do with what civilians think of Starfleet and more what David thinks of Starfleet because he doesn't like Kirk. But does he when he, And Kirk is what? Kirk is a starship captain in Starfleet. Now let me ask you, does he know that Kirk is his father? I got the sense he didn't really know until the end after everything was all done. Like I think he gained respect for Kirk and No, I think I th- I think he knows. Okay. I, I think he knows. I mean I don't I don't It's kind of ambiguous in the I don't think that his opinions or his actions make sense otherwise. And that's fair. Um still I do think if he knew prior to Because we know what Starfleet is like, right? And we know that Starfleet doesn't operate in the way that he says it operates. And so Yeah, but he's also a you know how old is he supposed to be? He's very... I mean, I guess he'd be 20, maybe. I think that he's 20 in a lot of ways. Like, he's been... Uh, put it this way, with any... Or any, you know, governmental-type organization funding a big project, there are going to be hassles. Everybody else on the team will understand. Carol Marcus will deal with the fact that there are surprise, you know, inspections, because she's had that before. That's, I'm sure, very common for government contracts. You know, she she's used to 
kinds of red tape. So things are naturally going to hit him harder than they would for her. That To me, it sounded more like a knee-jerk, well, yeah, well, it's the government. Yo, they're taking all the way their thing. They're just going to use this as a weapon. You know, I... No, I I, 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 I I disagree with you. I think that's all because he has a problem with but Kirk. But if he knew that Kirk was his dad, the second that they mentioned, you know, well, Admiral Kirk said that, I would think that he would have said, yeah, first he leaves us, then he comes back, not even to see me, but to take our, you know, our project away. No, because I, I, I mean, I don't think people talk like that. I mean, I, I and the thing is, like... To her, he would have said something. I don't know. I don't know if he would. I mean, I think, like... It it doesn't it doesn't feel like they've probably had this conversation before, it's, right? And so it's kind of unsaid, I think, at that point. I'm not and sure necessarily. I mean, I'm he, not sure he doesn't have a good reaction to Kirk's name. I mean, if 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 he didn't know who Kirk was, I don't think he would necessarily care. I think he would just be another nameless, faceless Starfleet admiral lackey that you know, yeah. whatever. That's fair. That's a fair point. Um, I mean, I'm not sure to the degree to which it necessarily matters, although. I think. I, I mean, although I, it, I mean, it does to a degree, but I'm. Sh- I don't think it makes it a different movie either way. Well, I think it. I think it matters just in if you. Okay, let's look at. Let's go off on a, on a weird uh, tangent that okay. I don't know is going to work or not. But let's look at Savick and let's look at David. Okay, I think they're both generally supposed to be about the, same, the same age. Yeah. But they're very different in their temperament regarding Starfleet, obviously. And they're very different in their reactions to Kirk. I think Savick is is intrigued by Kirk but doesn't understand him. Yeah. I think David understands Kirk but is kind of disgusted by him. We'll put it this way. Savick may not get Kirk, but she also recognizes that... You know, you don't become Admiral Kirk, like the most famous, probably Admiral at the in Starfleet, without knowing something. Like she, I think she immediately recognizes that even if this guy doesn't make sense, he's he's fairly wise at being a starship commander, and so he's a he's a great tutor. This this Kobayashi Maru, for whatever reason, she decides is going to be the key to learning about Kirk, and that's I think why she goes towards it, but. You know, she recognizes that he's a worthy role model. Yeah, David sees him as a tool of the man, as somebody who's left his mother, who's, you know, just kind of a bumbling idiot who doesn't really think about the consequences of his actions. Again, he's—it's clear that they aren't ready to—you know, they they still want—need Genesis for further improvements, further testing, and, you know— well, Admiral Kirk wants his toy now is what he's thinking is happening. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he doesn't see any wisdom in Kirk. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why he has such a, a strong reaction to Kirk when he comes down to the Genesis cave. Um, you know, because he's like, oh, great, he's here now. Like, And they, he's never met Kirk, at least. Right. He's not, I don't, yeah, he's not, I don't think he's ever met Kirk. I think he knows Kirk as his father, but he's never met him. And so when he comes down and... You know, Carol Marcus says, oh, this is Kirk. I mean, David is, like, immediately disgusted. Yeah. I, he he knows who Kirk is. Um, and I think he, he sort of thinks that Kirk is going to throw his weight around and take control and tell people what to do. And yeah, I think he's surprised that Kirk doesn't really do anything. Well, Savick herself He just kind of sits around. Doesn't Savick say, like, he's not what I expected him to be? Yeah. He's so humid. Yeah. You know? And you get that nice, uh, you know, well, nobody's perfect line from Smock, which, of course, echoes in the of all the souls I've known. His right. Was, which I assume we will be talking about the funeral at yeah, some we'll, point. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll to there. We'll end with that. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, both of them are finding out that the legend of Kirk is... And in a way, the audience is too, because this... The, again, the movie begins with him admitting the that most human of weaknesses, I don't like that I'm getting old. Yeah. I mean, that that is as as down-to-earth of a, an issue as anybody could deal with because it is somebody something literally everybody in the world deals with yeah and i think that's that's interesting if you contrast it with the motion picture because a lot of the motion picture was kirk realizing that he wasn't very good at this anymore and suddenly he's great at it again and you know that's why i find it such a weird movie coming after the motion picture because as great as the wrath of khan is you know thematically and logically speaking it doesn't seem to jive with anything that we see in the motion picture frankly, they're it all doesn't in, it doesn't fit with the ending of the motion picture they're all in completely different areas in life like that they, you know so kirk and spock and mccoy and everybody pretty much is now working for starfleet and they're they're teaching um they've all become professors that's the impression that i got um, which isn't, you know, and yes, it's maybe a few years later and maybe Yohura's finished her tour of duty on the Enterprise and, you know, they're staying with Starfleet because they are career Starfleet. I mean, that may make sense, but on the other hand, it, it's, if, it, if the first movie had not happened, I think it would not have been noticed. Oh no, I agree with you totally. Right. I, I liked mean, that one scene where, you know, you see Spock on the plant on Vulcan. That was beautiful, but that's about the only thing that I would have missed from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean in a lot of ways it feels like this this you know, this movie feels like a, a, a redo of the a retcon, picture, yeah, in some you know? ways. Yeah. In, in some ways. I mean, even to the fact where um even le- and this is why I love I just love this movie so much, is just it, it just has such an attention to detail. Um, you know, because at some point I think Kirk says that it's been been thirteen years since something. Uh, and and it was fifteen years that they was uh, right, that, right, but no, but he at Kirk, some point he yeah, says yeah. thirteen years. It's been thirteen years since whatever, and nineteen eighty two was thirteen years after nineteen sixty nine okay. when when the original series went off the air. Like it's little things like that, which yeah. just they really like went for it and it made it have a nice logical consistency and a nice sort of roundness to to the whole thing that is really great, and it's just such a there's such a richness to to this movie that you just didn't get in in the motion yeah. picture. Well, it's a much better movie. Now, what do you think about the Genesis Cave portion of the film and cuz it's it, it it comes at a weird time and it 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 feels kind of pointless in some ways, but it gets us somewhere that is interesting and I think it just allows us to have another Kirk and Spock work really well together moments. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, the whole wolf we were going by the book and the code and the thing like that. Um, I mean, it is a nice moment because, and it's a nice moment to finally explain how Kirk beat the Kobayashi Maru because everybody has been, had been looking, for, had been listening to what Kirk had said and was taking him at face value, and he was, you know, banking on that, that he was just going to lie, you know? And he was bending the rules, in a way, to get that code across. Yeah. And, um, you know, to a good degree. It's at that moment, like I said, I, I, he just jumps up, he's like, okay, it's been two hours, we're done, you know? And everybody is w- wondering why he's being so laid back and relaxed, you know? 
how can you think about food? You know, David is flipping out because he thinks, you know, Kirk's just cooling his heels. Well, and, you know, it's Kirk proving, no, I've got this. Yeah. And he's done that so much in the past. I mean, where he's had a plan, not really told anybody, yeah. and then just, you know, executes it himself. And that's that's complete Kirk, right? Yeah. And I think it's just another nice moment of, you know, Kirk is just totally, uh, uh, he's just he's just getting over on Khan so much at this yeah, point. Yeah, like and Khan is just fucking things up royally, and, and he's letting him think he's won again. That's you know the the it's I love how the screen does seem so overdone and is supposed to kind of be overdone. You know, it's. At that point, Khan thinks he's he's won. At that point, Kirk realizes that he's got the Genesis device. He's got to start. Like, Kirk Kirk is, you know, if if the guy on Khan's ship says, you know, realizes they have the starship and the Genesis device, you know, Kirk realizes that. And if Khan is not the only, Kirk realizes Khan is only continuing to go because of his ego. Because he wants yeah. to, because Kirk sort of got, you know another one over on him so Khan's considering that a battle and a war right now and I think it's really it's really brilliant on Kirk's part and it's really brilliant on on Harv Bennett's script because um it's one of those things where Kirk realizes that if Khan thinks he's won Khan is yeah. going to get cocky yeah and, and when Khan get, get yeah when Khan get cock, gets cocky he gets lazy and he lets things happen that should not happen which I think is very interesting because in the Space Seed episode I uh, I mean, Kirk is just, he's matching or outwitting Khan, but barely. At the very end, it he only manages to beat Khan because, like, he just grabs a pipe or something that happens to come loose. You know, it is really just down to luck. And so, in here, it's, it's Kirk has leveled up so much and Khan has degraded so much that it actually becomes a much more interesting plot on Kirk's end because they have he he's out, out thinking Khan in circles now he's the one who's got in the superior intellect yeah yeah that's a, that's a great point actually yeah now Th- this is a, this is a Kirk that's 15 years older yeah it's a Kirk that deserves to be an admiral but will thrive as a as, as a captain yeah yeah but I thought this was very interesting and I mentioned this when we saw that episode this movie seems a lot of ways like a redo of Balance of Terror in the way that motion picture was a redo of The Changeling. Um, the, I, and I rewatched Balance of Terror, which I still don't love, and I'm sorry. But in both cases, you have Kirk and an evenly matched uh, enemy captain, and it's a cat and mouse game. Um I think it's interesting how there's so much more of a tragic sense in Balance of Terror because they make it very clear that there is no personal... It's literally just they are on the opposing sides. You know, the other commander says, you know, I would have called you, you know, my friend in a different in a different lifetime. Right. And here, the fact that it is much more of a personal stake makes it a much more interesting plot, number one. Um, the fact that it is a recurring villain, that we see this great, you know, chess match, basically, between the two of them is much more tense. I mean, the climax of the movie is very silent ships going through a, you know, a psychedelic nebula. It's And after several minutes of maneuvering and figuring out and traveling blind, 
they do a, they fire off a shot. Well, in the same way, the balance of terror yeah. is a submarine. Yes, and I love you know the end of Wrath of Khan is a submarine movie. I, I happen to find Wrath of Khan a much more interesting episode. I find there that, you go again episode. I yeah. I mean, in in a way, they are trumped up episodes of the show. I would but, dis- I would disagree with but you. But you're, 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 it's it's Wrath it's of Khan. Difficult. Wrath of yeah. Khan is a legitimate movie. No, that's fair point. Um, some some of them are. I will agree with you. But <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, let's. You know, we've been talking for about an hour, so let's get to the end, and okay. and the death of Spock. Well, that was another. You know, this and this is another reason that I compare it to Balance of Terror because you have um, you have this character of this guy who is like really racist against Vulcans, and at the end, uh, you know, there's a leak of poison into the room, and Spock goes and he pulls them out without thinking, you know, and. He says, you know, you almost sacrificed yourself for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Spock does that same exact thing here, except obviously with much more permanent results. Um, uh, you know, he does actually die from the thing. And it's a, I mean, that theme, the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few is certainly a, you know, recurring. Th- it's the most explicit that theme has been said, but that's been that is the main theme of Star Trek in general, I, I, I could argue. Yeah. Um, I th- well, I would disagree with you a little bit, and I would say that, that Star Trek is more about making that question obsolete. Fair point. Than anything else. But if you do need to make that choice, then the choice yeah. is to help the many as opposed to the few. Um, yeah, I mean it's a different articulation of what I was seeing in the, you know, especially in the early season one episodes of you can't make your own paradise. Really, you can't make your little. Well, this is my way, and this is how I'm going, and I'm, you know, we are a group of the few, or I'm a group of the one, and this is how the world is. You know, no, you have to get, you know, humanity or people in general is what you have to look at. But yeah. this is this is obviously a much more. I mean, it's a it's a very classic, you know, ethical dilemma, you know, but. Spock doesn't even hesitate the second that he realizes... No, and Spock wouldn't hesitate yeah. because that, that's the logical choice. Yeah, I love how he just sits for a second and you see you know, you see the gears turning and he figures it out in like two seconds. He just stands up and calmly walks down. Like, And to the degree where you know, no one in the room seems to even notice that he leaves, he goes so quietly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, a lot, a lot of people, I think, criticized the movie, you know, at the time it came out because Spock's death seemed a little cheap. And I, you know, I can, I can certainly see that, um, you know, because, you know, Star Trek had been off the air for many years and this is only the second movie and this is the first really good one. And then suddenly Spock is dead and it's like, what the hell? Um, I kind of get that, but this movie is all about death and rebirth. Yeah. And Somebody needed to die in this movie. To, I mean, that that was just that needed to happen. Well, I mean, the and entire, yeah, it makes sense that it's Spock. I think, and it also, I think, thematically is much stronger than it's Spock. That it's Spock because, you know, Kirk has always gotten out of the impossible situations. Yeah. This movie is about Kirk being the person to get you out of impossible situations, but he doesn't get his best friend out of this situation yeah. alive, and. He has no control over it and, in fact, doesn't even realize that it's happening. Yeah. And I think that is – it's not an indictment of Kirk, and I don't think it's supposed no, to be a – but it's – It's not supposed to be a criticism of Kirk, but I think it's supposed to be a it's, – it's putting a price on that that we haven't really seen in Star Trek before. Well, I would say that – so the – 
I mean, the entire movie and that situation especially are variations on this Kobayashi Maru, which is that, you know, here is an unwinnable situation. No matter what your choice is, it's it, you will not have the happy ending. Now, Kirk, because, yeah. because Kirk says in, in the Wrath of Khan that he doesn't believe yeah. in the no-win scenario, and at the end of the Wrath of Khan, he's presented yeah, with Yeah, well, in the show, he's always been presented with two... You know, options, neither, you know, each of which is going to get somebody hurt or killed, you know, or it seems like there's no alternative but the bad thing. And he's figured what the third option is or what the way to counteract that or the loophole. And, you know, to where he's even been. And we love Kirk because of that. I mean, he very explicitly was lauded for originality for cheating the simulation. That That's as... You know, class, that's as explicit of a way of saying we like Kirk for cheating as you can make it. And I guess the movie is making the point that you can do that for a while. If you are somebody who is as clever as Kirk, as lucky as Kirk, surrounded by as good people as Kirk is, you can do that for a lot. You can cheat the system for a very long time. But at the end of the day, you are still going to get old and you are still going to die. And you're n- that's one thing that is impossible to cheat at uh, at some point you are going to face death and how you face death again shows what your character is you see with 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 Khan's very last breath i mean he says this even as he's dying he's you know explicitly telling us what he's doing he's trying to kill kirk with his last moments on earth spock in his last moments on earth without hesitating sacrifices his life to save the crew of the Enterprise. Kirk is realizing, I mean, at the end of the movie, Kirk realizes that there will be a situation where he will have to face death. And he has to accept that and he can't cheat it out. And the way to face death, Khan did not face death with as much dignity as Spock did. And I think... This, At the end of the day, Khan is a coward. Yeah, I think this is... And Kirk isn't. I think this is Kirk seeing how to die as a coward and how to die as as a man, I guess. Yeah, and he's, yeah. you know... Or a woman. Yeah, or as a Vulcan, I guess. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, but, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, I'm not going to get, you know, too into the whole death scene because it's just one of the... T- finest moments in, in any star trek movie or tv series ever um and i cry every time i watch it because i'm just i just love star trek starting so much from the moment great, that kirk you know, sees the chair and knows it's, right, uh, the, the, right the entire end of the movie is amazing and i love that he just gives that time you know contrast it to the con when he when spock dies he just gasps out this no you know, like, yeah, he just, yeah. it's so tiny. Like, that's yeah. him. No, that's him actually being but I, but I But I do want to ask you, though. I mean, you know, you, you definitely were not a, a fan of the original series. And I think you, you didn't, you know, I think you appreciated some of it. And I yeah. think you sort of got why it was such a phenomenon. But at the same time, I don't know that you really developed an affinity for these characters so so does that death scene work for you oh definitely because well see that's interesting well at the end of the day it's still mr spock he's right. one of the beloved characters in american media so that you know everybody knows mr spock and there's nobody who doesn't like him it's also a very well done as you said it was a movie and it's it was a movie yeah within the arc of the movie you can like this character and feel you know sad about the death because movies do that all the time yeah sure yeah 
I mean, I, I think it's going along with that. And, you know, again, I may not be a Trekkie, but I still have followed Mr. Spock and I still have seen him die. Yeah, yeah. And die in an extremely touching way. Don't and just, I mean, and Leonard Nimoy's performance where he started, he, he sounds sick and he, yeah. he sounds like he's and dying. And he says, you know, I've never taken the Kobayashi Maru, you know. Yeah. This, I mean, that the, again... It's funny, by the way, now that I'm talking about it, how there are, you know, the characters are speaking the subtext in a lot of the movie, but, you know, they managed to pull it off. But yeah, this is Spock's answer to the no-win situation. You do the one which will, it doesn't matter if you win as long as the other people do. That's who gets to win. And I think at the end of the, at the, end of the day, that's the lesson of the movie. And, you know, we're left with uh, uh, a new planet being born out of the nebula because the Genesis device yeah. explodes and, and Spock enable them to escape that um, by, by fixing the, the main power and killing himself in the process. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the last, the last shot of the movie is, is Kirk on the bridge and, you know, saying, well, I, I, I feel young again, you know, like he, he's sort of gone through this experience yeah. and I think really learned something about command, about how to live, about how to die you know, the fact that he is embracing David as his son at the yeah. end is not incidental. The fact that he, uh, you know, they talk about the planet and he says, you know, well, I am going to, ch- you know, it sounds like a good place to go back to. Or I'm going to check up on that. He's now going to be following up on the places where he left something, I think, or did something. Yeah. Uh, he is going to see what seeds he's planted. And and at the I- end of the day, I think, you know, it's 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 an interesting choice to have Leonard Nimoy read the, you know, these are the voyages monologue at the end of the movie as well. well. A, and a, an altered version. I'm now, did they do that in the original, in the motion picture, but where you're saying, you know, these are the continuing voyages of the starship enterprise. It's continuing mission. They didn't say it in the motion picture. Okay. Yeah. They, I mean, obviously they change it for from five years because they're no longer, but it makes the enter. It makes this command seem more indefinite, yeah, and yeah. a little more open. I, and I think it's you know great to know that. I don't think Kirk comes out with any answers from this this adventure, but I think he's realized that. I mean, you know, the whole Socrates thing is that you know the only true wisdom is to know that one doesn't know everything. Prior to this, Kirk thinks he knows. Every, everything about everything and again he's cheated death i'll always be able to cheat death and this is him again finding out that you know no you don't really know as much as you think you did you just kind of smiled and were got lucky yeah yeah 10 angry cons 10 angry cons i am scared to rate this movie but i'll give it eight and a half okay you're stupid no just because i don't like to get no i'll give it a nine all right, fair enough. I mean, I could like one of the other movies a lot more. Like the yeah. whale one's coming out. I love the whale movie. I love the whale movie. I'll tell you a secret. What? That's my favorite is one. Is it really? It is. Oh! Yeah. I know that'll make some people angry, Yay! but I just love it so much. Anytime I talk to anybody about Star Trek movies, by the way, the first thing everybody says is, oh, well, it has that one. Ha, ha, ha. There's whales. So... That's the only Star Trek movie anybody seems to know. That's coming in two weeks, and I will just say that as the Wrath of Khan, uh, it treats Star Trek with the the reverence and seriousness that it deserves. 
and that is certainly a part of Star Trek, and that is something that I love about it. Uh, and The Voyage Home is the Star Trek movie that says, this is fucking stupid as hell, <laughs> and we're just going to have a really good time with this concept and run with it, and that is part of Star Trek as well, and that's why I love it. Okay. Like, but, I, I got the sense it was like one of the comedy episodes. Yeah. Yeah. But before we get there, next week, we're going to talk about Star Trek Three. The search for Spock. But that doesn't make sense because Spock's dead. How could they search for Spock if he's dead? Or is he? <laughs> <laughs>